Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, right. Michael, have you got a minute? Michael, please don't save the car. Toto? Yes, it's called a motor race, okay? Toto, we went to car racing. It's victory for Max in his home race. You guys do know that Max isn't Dutch, right? Announce Colton Herta. It's lights out and away we go. And on the inside, there's contact. Carlos Sainz is coming in for Ferrari. It's the shortest pit lane, I think, of the season because Sergio Perez was in his box. They couldn't release Carlos Sainz. They left the, the gun out. Yeah, we saw. Sergio Perez currently in third. Lewis Hamilton may be targeting a win today. Needs to get past the Rebel. This time he's clear. By the side of the track, Yuki Sonoda stops. Tires are fidget, tires are fidget. Start again, tires are okay. So Sonoda is allowed to rejoin. Deep is broken, I think. Stop, stop. Verstappen might just hang on to the lead here by making a pit stop behind the virtual safety car. Oh, we got another car oh, stopping, Bottas. and it's Valtteri Bottas in the Alfa Romeo. Verstappen's been told to get into the pits. Soft tyres going on. Hamilton is going to take the lead. Let's stop. Let's put the soft on. We're going green, and Verstappen has got a decent toe behind Hamilton, and Verstappen, and Verstappen is ahead. Max Verstappen wins the Dutch Grand Prix. What a match. Hello, I'm Shannon Mabry, your host of the Race Directors Podcast, and I'm joined by the soon-to-be blue-flagged backmarkers, serial podcaster Joe Spagnoli, mysterious F1 Twitter menace unpaid intern, and sadly we don't have Mr. Ed Spencer this week, but we will have him next week, and I would like to apologise in advance because, as you may be able to tell from my very gravelly sexy voice, I'm not very well this week, but power on we shall, because F1 stops for no man. So... We were in Zanvoort on Sunday. It was an interesting experience, to say the least. Let's kick off the discussion by addressing the elephant in the room, which is those Alpha Tauri conspiracy theories that have been floating around ever since the race. We're just going to dive in and discuss them straight away, because to me, they're very serious, very serious allegations that could result in a team forfeiting a championship, being disqualified, kicked out huge fines. We've seen it happen on very, very rare occasions in the past. And it's certainly a very big deal. If it were true, it is not. And let's also take a moment to absolutely wholeheartedly condemn the vitriol that's been directed towards Hannah Schmitz, who is the head of strategy at Red Bull, which is an absolute, complete and utter disgrace. But Joe, I think this is just another example of F1 Twitter being a bunch of lunatics. Sounds like an awful lot of projection as well, attacking one strategy director while their own strategy directors at Mercedes and Ferrari let themselves down yet again this weekend. You call them very serious allegations, I call them incredibly stupid, ignoring the vitriolic and often quite sexist element towards this. If a team was found guilty of race fixing or communications with another independent body, I don't care that Alpha Tower is owned by Red Bull, they are separate race teams, separate facilities, they cannot communicate together in the same race, they wouldn't just be excluded from this year's championship. There's a very good chance that at least one, if not both of those teams, would not be allowed to operate in Formula One in the future. Cheating is... Pa- Cheating is treated very badly in Formula One. Just look at the very few historical examples of it. You'll see how severely treated it is. But on pure strategic terms, 
people saying that that virtual safety car was beneficial to Max Verstappen. That's wrong. Christian Horner has come out himself and said that that came at the worst possible time for their strategy. It forced Red Bull onto the hard tyres when they had absolutely no intention of going onto them, but they had to optimise strategy because of the time they'd save under a VSC pit stop. All the people saying about Mercedes throwing away a potential Lewis Hamilton win, the only reason he was anywhere near Verstappen for the win was because of that VSC caused by Sonoda. It actively went against Red Bull. Now, this brings me to a question that I have for both of you, and that is, who is to blame for how Lewis's race went? Was it himself for not demanding the softs like George Russell did, or was it his pit wall? I'm going to come to you first in turn. Who is at fault for where Lewis finished in that race? Because it was looking pretty good at one point. Mm, It's a tough one, because I personally don't think he was going to win at all. I feel like all of the stuff that happened was, in a sense, delaying the inevitable. I kind of do see both sides. I do somewhat understand why people would say Lewis not pitting or forcing the issue for Sauce would would kind of be on him. I do understand that, but Lewis has been a guy historically that has put a lot of faith into his team as it regards their strategies, even when he doesn't agree with them. So I don't think he did anything uncharacteristic by listening to the team and staying out. I think the team did him somewhat of a disservice by leaving him out and pitting George because I feel as though when you do that, the way everything played out is how it was always going to play out. I don't know if they thought Lewis is just going to inherit some superhuman ability and just keep the whole field behind him on, on those mediums. But I, I, think it's, I think it's easily on the Merck strategy department. I think they have everything to do with this and to blame Lewis would just be reaching in my opinion. I think that's a very good point. And I think probably Lewis was having wartime flashbacks to last year in Abu Dhabi at the thought of restarting under a safety car with a a Max Verstappen behind him on fresh soft tyres and he couldn't keep him behind then even when he did have a a consistently race winning car so poor Lewis that must have been quite stressful but Joe are you of the same opinion as intern do you think it was not really Lewis to blame for that one? Not at all and you guys know me I'm more prepared to criticise Lewis Hamilton than most Formula One pundits going around, so I can't I can't find an excuse to blame him for it. People praise the likes of Carlos Sainz for going against the pit wall. It feels weird that something that Carlos Sainz would be praised for is expected to be the default position for Lewis Hamilton. James Voles gets this stuff right on a very regular occasion. It's part of the reason they won so many championships in succession. I don't think you can blame anyone other than the pit wall on this occasion. I'm inclined to agree with you both, to be honest. But if we're going to talk about poor strategy and stupid pit walls, I think you know where I'm going with this. We have to talk about Ferrari. We we have to, because I nearly fell off my sofa on so many occasions on Sunday afternoon. I can't even count them. Who goes out to do a pit stop with three out of four tyres? What 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 happened? What how how did how? I mean, we come to expect Ferrari being a somewhat stupid, but that was, I couldn't believe it. Why did you go out there with three tyres? Where was the fourth tyre? Where was the rear left? Why was it not there? Joe, I know you must have some thoughts on this. I, I can't even blame Rueda for it, which makes the, me even more angry. Not to mention the fact that they left the tyre hose, well, the, the, the wheel gun out, which Perez then ran over. It's very lucky, by the way, that Perez only ran over it with his tyre and not the underfloor of the car. Those things can do some serious damage. I've seen like cars lose their brake lines because of stuff like that. I'm surprised that Ferrari weren't more severely punished for that, never mind the stupid unsafe release later on in the race, which yet again is single-handedly responsible for Carlos Sainz losing multiple points. Yeah, that was another moment that I believe I nearly fell off my chair. It was just mess after mess, mistake after mistake. And once again, we ended up with the guys finishing. I mean, Leclerc, luckily for him on the podium, but Sainz down in eighth, all said and done. And that's he deserves better than that. They both do. They really do. In turn, how did you feel the weekend went for Ferrari? Well, I was shocked that they were even in contention for pole because they were kind of looking kind of mid-ish all practice session. But Leclerc being within 200s of pole was pretty incredible given his weekend up until that point. As it regards just the strategy by itself, I don't really think Ferrari did really anything wrong. I think their plans 
as it regard as it regarded like when to pit and for what. It, they, def- they definitely didn't have a Hungary again. You know, it, they, they actually made the right calls. The tire thing was embarrassing, but at least now I can say I've seen all three of the big three teams make a huge tire mistake now. I saw, I saw Red Bull in Monaco 2016. I saw Mercedes in Sakir 2020. And now I've seen Ferrari here. But as it regards the strategy in general, the strategy was fine. They just made mistakes in carrying it out. Leclerc was very shafted by Bottas retiring right after he pit, I believe. I think Leclerc pit and like two laps later, Bottas retired and caused the safety car. But that's something that Ferrari would have never expected. But I don't know. I think I think I could let them off the hook this time because the mistakes that were made this weekend felt kind of bizarre rather than something that we could all tell was going to fail. So that, that's where I'm. That's where I'm at with it. Bizarre is certainly a very good choice of words for it. Let's be honest. But it's been another week and another opportunity for Alpine to increase the gap between themselves and McLaren on the constructors' championship. They're now sitting pretty at 125 points, while McLaren are loitering with 101 in fifth place. It does very much feel like they have comfortably taken that best of the rest title now I know I keep talking about it but it is because I am a McLaren girl and it does make me sad to see anyone overtaking them in the constructors but it it just feels like all hope is lost I can't see things turning around when you have Daniel Ricciardo finishing right towards the back of the grid and the best that Lando Norris could achieve was seventh which with all things being said isn't actually that great but it just it feels like they've lost it And it feels like they, after five years of upwards trajectory, they're now on a downturn and I'm struggling to see how it gets any better. In turn, do you feel like Alpina now, that's them, best of the rest, confirmed for the foreseeable? Well, having two consistent point scorers definitely helps, which is something, unfortunately, McLaren don't have. I've been a bit hard on Daniel Ricciardo because his pace is ass, but Overall, man, it's just it's it's just the truth. Whether it's his fault or the the team's fault, the the pace he's showing just isn't there, and they're not scoring any points. And this has always been an issue. Shannon, you were saying that you were sad. You were saying that you were sad that you saw Alpine overtake McLaren, but you're lucky you even got to see them overtake them at all. In my opinion, they should have they should have been ahead the whole time. They should have been ahead the whole time, but they've had reliability issues for most of the first half of the season. I think I think they're finally getting over that reliability hump. I think it's been quite a while since they've had any kind of car-related retirements. I think Silverstone was probably the last time. Silverstone, Austria-ish, somewhere around there. I feel like they're, they're in a good position now. They have two, two arguable top 10 drivers. I, I don't even think it's arguable. I'm pretty sure we can all agree Alonso and Ocon are both top 10 drivers on the grid. And the car overall looks faster than McLaren on a weekly basis anyway. So they have better drivers and they have a better car. So yeah, this this should be expected. And it's a shame we're only just now seeing them start to distance themselves from McLaren. But they're, they're getting it done, man. You're right. I do think it's, there's a hell of a lot of luck behind McLaren being ahead of them this season in the first place. So I'll, I'll take that one on the chin. That's fine. I'll take it. Now, Joe, I know you want to give a bit of a shout out to Lance Stroll this weekend, which is not something that has ever been said by me or by many other people, in fact. But I know that you thought that he did quite a good job this weekend. He did. He soundly outperformed Sebastian Vettel all the way throughout the weekend. And granted, this was one of Vettel's worst weekends, but I feel like it's something we have to reinforce because when Stroll is good, a lot of the time he just genuinely doesn't get any plaudits, which feels somewhat unfair. And low-key, since Silverstone at least, I can't think of a weekend where Vettel has been miles better than him. Granted, he's been outperforming him a little bit, but this idea that Vettel has been completely washing Stroll all season... Macro, maybe, but race by race, the gap isn't as big as you might think. Even in qualifying this weekend, Stroll looked pretty good in a car that, well, I, I still can't believe the AMR22 can go round corners. Quite frankly, I'm I'm surprised it's finished as many races as it has. Yeah, I was going to say, I believe it, because they brought in that, that, that rear wing in Hungary. And they were all right in Hungary, but it, it looks like it's finally kicking in now. Aston Martin, they they were pretty... 
there, the car itself was quite good this weekend. Vettel really... I, the thing is, Vettel's pace was fine. It's just he made that mistake in Q1. He set a purple sector on his final lap in sector one, and then he just ruined everything in the final sec in the final corner not even the final sector the literal final corner i don't know if it was dust or just him making a mistake but he went off and qualified 19th and it's really not that easy to make up spots around here unless i guess you're fernando alonso but stroll was stroll was on it man q3 for the first time since miami and he managed to get points in the end. And I'm not surprised because I know Stroll is capable of this stuff. You know, like I, I think I low-key think he's the most underrated driver in Formula One. But that's just me. And whenever he does stuff like this, I'm just genuinely not surprised. He cooked in Belgium too. You forget that he was so good in Belgium and he just didn't get any points for it, man. Like Stroll and Stroll and Stroll can hang with them, man. I'm telling y'all. I think I'm just purposefully ignoring him, perhaps because I'm biased against him. So I will take that point in turn. Very well made. But it is time, gentlemen, to go on a little grid walk because it's time to go for a little walk down Gossip Grid. Welcome to Gossip Grid, the part of the podcast where I impart unto you, dear listeners, the latest whispers flying around the paddock. A video has surfaced since Sunday's race, seeming to identify one of the culprits that threw an orange flare onto the track, and they appear to be wearing the uniform of the security firm hired by the track? It's not a good look for the firm or Zanvor if it's proven to be true, and as we've yet heard nothing official on whether there will be consequences for the actions of the man in the video, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But while we're on the subject of videos, another one that has surfaced since the weekend seemed to overhear part of a conversation between Sergio Perez and Daniel Ricciardo, where the Australian implies that he could be taking a year off next year and coming back in 2024, while rumours are also swirling that Ricciardo could be Mercedes reserve driver next year. Could we possibly see everyone's favourite Australian driver stepping into the Mercedes garage soon? Time will tell. That's all the gossip I have for you this week, dear listeners, but rest assured, my ears are always open. So did anyone else see this video, or is it just me? The video of Perez and Daniel Ricciardo walking towards the track, and their conversation was overheard, and it's only a section of it, but Daniel does appear to say, have a year off next year and come back in 2024. Is, uh, has anyone else seen that? Is it just me? I've seen it, but I haven't really... Joe's seen it. Yeah, Intern's seen really, it. I haven't really looked too deep into it, man. Well, I mean, it does kind of fit with the idea that he could possibly be coming back as a Mercedes reserve driver, possibly in 2020. Sorry. Possibly next year, taking a year off, doing that reserve seat, and then coming back with a real seat the following year. We have seen other drivers on the track do this. It's not out of the realm of possibility. It would be a shame to see him not driving, I suppose, especially for his many fans. But, I mean, it's better than leaving the sport altogether, right? It's a very risky thing for him to do at that particular age. It doesn't seem like it because he's always seemed kind of young, but he is very quickly approaching the end of peak physicality, at least in terms of motorsports. And ignoring that, you know, leaving the sport and its conditioning for one year, at least on a regular basis... It's not just the competitiveness, it's also the salary. Like Daniel Ricciardo has been paid very well by teams for the best part of the last decade. When he left Red Bull, he'd been offered a contract equal to what they were even paying Verstappen, who'd washed Ricciardo for the whole season. He's always been very lucky. A year out of the sport, I'm convinced even now Alpine or someone else could offer him 15 million euros at the very least. If he hasn't been racing for an entire year, that all of a sudden comes down very quickly. It's at this age, it is very risky for me to Ricardo for Ricardo to not be on the grid come next year. Same. I, I don't know. I feel like whatever happens, happens. I, like I'm trying to 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 care about this Ricardo stuff, but for some reason, it's just nothing. Just I'm just the care genes in my brain hole aren't kicking in. I just I just don't really I just don't really care. You know what I mean? Like. I have said in the past I wouldn't mind him over at Haas if they lose Mick. I was like, you know, some of Ricardo Magnussen lineup would be kind of cool. Even a Ricardo Bottas lineup over at Alpha would be kind of cool, assuming he gets well with the car. But uh, I, I don't know. If Luca Bador could come back in 09, surely, surely Ricardo could be able to come back, assuming 
someone has a honker in his absence and they need a replacement immediately. I could definitely see a team calling him up. I could definitely see a team like Andretti going for him as like the guy, you know, the the, the face, the guy everybody knows, the, the, the guy to spearhead the whole operation. I could see a team like Andretti going for Ricardo being the spokesperson of their squad. But as of right now, man, whatever happens, happens, I guess. It doesn't look like Alpine's going to happen, but we'll see. What he needs, above all else, is a bounce back, right? For the last two years, he's been in a car and a team environment that, for whatever reason, does not suit him. I'm completely in agreement with Inter and he needs to leave. The way you prove that you're still a great driver is you get in a car with a radically different concept straight away and perform. I remain one of the Ricardo truthers. He can't be this bad. You don't win nine Grand Prix if you're this bad. But to prove that, he has to get into a different car. Stat. He really does. But the question is, what is the car that would suit the man? And I guess it's one of those questions that you don't know the answer to until it's potentially too late, which I suppose is what we've seen a few times in his career already, which has been a crying shame. But... Let's have a little quick chat about this video of what looks to be a security man throwing an orange flare onto the track, because if it is true, that's very, very mad. And that's very, very dangerous. And it's a really bad look for both the track and the firm responsible. And I would expect there to be some consequences for that, because that's very, very dangerous. You expect the security to be the people that are removing people that are doing that. I think a lot of people expected it to be the mad Verstappen fans in their orange t-shirts. But if you watch the video, they're actually shouting at the guy for doing it and they're chastising him and cussing him out. So I'm interested to see where that goes, but something in my brain tells me that we're never going to hear anything about it again. It's kind of a non-story. It kind of finishes as far as it goes. I'm just assuming that he threw the flare onto the track because he was told that Max Verstappen was born in Belgium. Shady, shady behaviour. But chaps, it is time to uh, jump in our little race director's time machine because we're looking back with Ed, Mr. Ed Spencer, and it is Monza 95. After enduring the rain of Spa, Formula One arrived at Monza, basking in the late summer sunshine for round 13 of the 1995 World Championship. Michael Schumacher came into the weekend walking on sunshine after winning from 16th on the grid at Spa, extending his championship lead over the under-fire Damon Hill to 15 points. But the news of Schumacher's move to Ferrari had gone down like a bucket of cold sick with the Defosi, who booed the German throughout the weekend, with one particular banner saying they would rather have one John Lazy today over 100 Schumachers tomorrow, as the former looked set to move to Benetton. Another driver whose future was in question at the time was David Coulthard, who managed to put his Williams in on pole position, with Schumacher alongside whilst Berger gave the Tifosi some hope from third, with Hill disappointing fourth ahead of Alesi and Rubens Barrichello in excellent sixth. Before the Grand Prix, a Renault-Clio Cup race took place, where one of the competitors dropped oil at the Variante Escada chicane, forcing clean-up to occur just before the actual race. However, that oil wasn't thoroughly cleaned off the track when Coulthard approached the corner on the formation lap, with the Scotsman losing control and spinning into the gravel trap in one of the most bizarre incidents to take place in Formula 1. Coulthard spinning off on the exit of Ascari. Later, he would blame oil on the track as the cause, but in any event, he was now out of the race. That left Schumacher on pole, and he duly led the field through the Retifidio, with Berger and Alesi following in hot pursuit as Hill lost track position to Herbert whilst Coulthard climbed out of his Williams and was in the shower when, at the variant Ascari, all hell was breaking loose. When exiting the corner, Ukyo Katayama clipped the wheel of Olivier Panis, spinning the tour around, with Max Papis and Andrea Montemini following the Japanese star in unison as Papis's wrecked car veered into the path of John Christophe Bouillon and Roberto Moreno. Red flag, with less than a lap completed, a new race was declared. Coulthard couldn't believe his luck. Whilst up at the Roger, Pedro Diniz had beached his second 40 in the gravel trap, causing both Brazilians to run frantically back to the pitch to jump in the spare car, with Diniz getting back first and taking the restart whilst Moreno would have to watch from the 40 garage, along with Pedro Lamy, whose transmission broke on the opening lap. Montemini's animated disappointment at not having a spare car was Coulthard's gain, as the red flag meant he could jump in the spare car and have another go at the restart 
and Coulthard duly nailed his second attempt and blazed off into the early lead, with Berger passing Schumacher for second on the run down to Retrofilia. Pacific's grim race ended with a whimper when paid driver Sicilian Giovanni Lavaggi beached it in the gravel trap at Retrofilia, ending his fourth and final appearance with Pacific in 1995. Next hour on lap 10 was Martin Brundle, who suffered a puncher, damaging his Ligier beyond repair and dropping debris all over the track. Coulthard had built up a lead of over two seconds for Berger at just under a quarter distance, but today wasn't to be the Brits' day, as a wheel-bearing failure caused Coulthard to spin to the gravel trap at the Roger, ending his race and putting Berger into the lead to the delight of the Defosi, while Schumacher and Hill moved up to a second and third. Berger built up a buffer between himself and the two warring rivals as they began to lap the tail-enders, with a lazy closing in as Hill nearly walloped Catty Armour when trying to lap him at the Retifino. But less than a handful of laps later, Hill got spooked by Taki Inoue, who moved slightly off the racing line to let leaders through, only for it to cause Hill to ram Schumacher up the gearbox, taking both out of the race and handing Ferrari a 1-2 as Schumacher and Hill almost came to blows before Marshalls intervened. For the second time this year, the power are off and the controversy immense. Schumacher straight over the hill to vent his anger. Now with nearly all of the top contenders gone, Ferrari had the race themselves, with Berger first to stop on lap 25, but the Austrian's tyre change took over 15 seconds, putting him behind the duelling Eddie Irvine and Mark Blundell, who were fighting for on-track position and were understandably not keen to let the Austrian by. All this helped to Lazy gain a big enough gap to pit for fresh tyres and fuel and come out ahead of Berger, with Barrichello, Mika Hakkinen and Johnny Herbert all taking turns leading the race before stopping, with Herbert staying out the longest of the trio, jumping Barrichello and Hakkinen on, into the podium slots as Ferrari regained their 1-2. But all hope of a 1-2 went up in a cloud of smoke when a Lazy's onboard camera fell off his car approaching the Roger, smashing Berger's suspension and putting him out of the race. Now the race looked destined for Lazy, but Herbert wasn't giving up and was closing in on the Frenchman as Irvine and Barrichello suffered late race de- retirements, which put Heintal Frenzen back into contention for a maiden podium for Sauber and the young German. Whilst at the tail end of the points paying positions, the double DNF put Bouillon and the two footworks right back in the fight. With 11 laps to go, the gap between Herbert and Lazy was down to just over 7 seconds, as the Frenchman began to slow down with a wheel-bearing issue, raising the Defosi's blood pressures to a fever pitch as they prayed for Lazy's car to crawl home. Their prayers weren't answered, as flames started appearing out of Lazy's right rear tyre, forcing the Frenchman to pit into a heartbreaking retirement and consequently handing Herbert an unlikely second victory of the season. For Johnny, it was a second gifted victory this year, but deserved no less after all the years of frustration. Ed of Akinen and Frenson, who secured Sauber's first podium. Blundell finished fourth ahead of Mikasalo to grab two valuable championship points for Tyrrell. With Bouillon wrapping up a point for Sauber after fending off the two footworks on the last lap. Hill's bumper car exhibition earned the Brit a one race suspended ban which later proved to be academic as Schumacher wrapped up the championship in Aida after a series of strategy errors and mistakes ended Hill's slim title hopes. Herbert would be dropped from Benetton at the end of the year and would land on his feet at Sauber, whilst Berger moved to Herbert's old team, whilst Coulthard signed for McLaren with a maiden victory in his pocket after taking the win in the following round at Estoril. The Defosi wouldn't have to wait too long for a home win either as the once-hated Schumacher became a messiah after taking victory at Monza one year later, with a lazy, ironically enough, coming home second for Benetton. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Oh, how the tables turn. The Tafosi sure did change their opinions on Schumacher in the following years, didn't they? Yeah, that would probably be my comment about it, is that this has taken a really long time. But basically, the 310 wasn't as bad as a load of people say it was. It was just kind of a bit fat and ugly. I'm going to have to take your word for that one, Joe. But it's time for news of the week. We're coming back to the present tense. It's time for news of the week. And I've got a really, really funny one for you. You've probably already heard about it, but... On their way to Monza, a Ferrari truck transporting components has broken down with an apparent tyre issue. So what I would like to know is, was Rueda in charge of its tyre strategy? Because, wow, they're not having a good time. I believe I sent you this story with the caption, was Rueda driving? Oh, I'm not sure he was driving, but he was definitely in charge of choosing the tyres. It simply must be the case, because... How can they even get transport wrong? My God. I mean, you'd be surprised, though. I mean, as a NASCAR fan, I've seen a couple stories of things going wrong, transporting cars from one race to the other. So I guess when I see it in F1, it's not really much to me. But this, this is a thing that happens. You, you never know. Something could always happen to the truck. It's it's a good thing that nothing terrible happened that they were they were able to stop the truck because I remember earlier this year in one of the junior series in nascar arca that one of the truck drivers bringing a car to the racetrack had a terrible accident he passed away in it the, the all the cars inside the truck burnt down it's a horrible accident so for for ferrari to, to escape this with just a little fire is actually not that bad and hopefully they've gotten to monza and they'll still be able to compete as normal on the topic of Rueda, are we certain that the Tifosi just haven't taken matters into their own hands? They've seen that this guy is still in a job after seven and a half years and they've decided amongst themselves that it is less embarrassing if Ferrari just don't show up to Monza rather than letting him ruin yet another race for them. Well, I wouldn't put it past the Tifosi, to be honest. And I will take your point in turn that it could happen to anyone. But my point is... Of course it happened to Ferrari. Of course it did. Of Look, man. Of course it did. Y- y- y'all saw those Dutch guys throwing flares on the track. For- Fossey are looking at like, you know something? They might be onto something, you know? We're going a- to see three purple sectors from Leclerc and then a red flag. Are you going to see a red flare in the middle of that track? My-, <laughs> my-, my words, man. I'm surprised they haven't thought of it already, to be honest. But in turn, what is your news of the week? Herta watch. That's my news of the week, man. Colton Herta, my guy, is being touted. I thought it was just silly little rumors earlier. But it seems as though Helmut Marco is dead set on getting Herta into that Alpha Tauri seat so that they can finally be rid of Pierre Gasly. And I don't say that in a negative sense. I just mean, you know, get some fresh blood into the team. But unfortunately, because Hertha does not have the necessary super license points needed to join Formula One, there's a lot of discourse going on right now as it regards how many points do IndyCar drivers actually deserve as it regards the super license point system. And I have made a YouTube video about this, so I'm not going to get too far into it, but you know, probably it'll be in the description or something. I don't know. But we will, we, we've been discussing for a bit, should IndyCar get the same amount of points allocations as F2? Because Hertha does not have a super license right now, despite being one of the best young drivers in the sport. And if you look at the F2 super license system, if you spend three years in F2 and you finish fifth, fifth and sixth, that's a super license, which 
even though those results are considered mediocre. So that's kind of the discussion that's floating around right now that everyone's trying to give the two cents on. So, I so, will say, so. if we get Colton Herter in F1, we will not hear the end of it from you for the entire season. I can only imagine, in turn, the the rants and the videos and the tweets that we're going to get from you. And nice little plug there. I will also mention as well that obviously there are protocols in place for drivers who aren't able to build up enough points for their super license, which obviously would apply to IndyCar drivers, especially in this case, whereby if they are unable to get enough points due to the fact that they are busy doing something else, i.e. driving in IndyCar, they will allow you to get a super license with fewer points. There is a lower threshold they will give you if you're in a situation like Colton Herter. So hopefully he can perhaps fit that threshold and get a super license that way. But there, there are methods, but there is a lot to be said for perhaps giving them more super license points yeah. as IndyCar drivers in their own right. It's, just, it's, 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 it's a weird situation for me because I remember when Oward couldn't get his because IndyCar wouldn't count his Indy Lights points because of how little drivers competed in the series. And at, right, right now, Oward has 38 super license points. He's two less. And... As much as I want them to give Herta an exception, it means that they'd have to give Oward one too, which I'm okay with if they actually do. But if they don't, it would be unfair to him. It's a very weird situation. I, I for one, don't mind if Herta stays in IndyCar forever. I win regardless because I get to see him race regardless of where it is. I'm afraid that if they rush it and just give him the super license, then people are going to develop agendas against him and just hate on him because he's being given special treatment even though they literally gave robert kubica super license in 2019 for doing nothing but still i I want him to get it the normal way and then we can have the discussion later but i do still think that indycar's super license system should be given a couple tweaks before we quickly move on i've I've obviously been one of colton herter's more vocal critics even on here in terms of his formula one prospects but the guy drives for andretti Autosports in IndyCar, cars that don't turn as well as a typical Formula One car would, cars that are nowhere near as reliable as the best Formula One cars are, and but a team that makes really stupid strategic decisions. He's basically an Alpha Tauri driver already. Sign him up. Ouch. But I mean, maybe that means that he's well prepared for a career at Alpha Tauri. It's a good point well made. But Joe, what is your news of the week? It's a pretty simple story, really. You mentioned the Ferrari truck that broke down. I'm mentioning what may well have been in those trucks when they broke down. A special livery going into the Italian Grand Prix, which definitely won't look even more stupid when Beretta inevitably throws away another 10 minimum points. A little bit of yellow emblazoning on the back of the gearbox, rear wing. To be honest, I'd rather they'd just gone the whole hog and painted the whole thing yellow. At at the moment, it just looks like they bought a tin of Hammerite that wasn't quite big enough. I'm not a fan of this livery at all. I don't like it because I don't like all the yellow and I don't like the race suits because all I see are minions. It's all I can see. The black underneath the black stuff they're wearing underneath looks great, <laughs> but the yellow race suits to me just make them look like minions and like they don't need to look more stupid than they already do when things go wrong in my opinion. I think the sartorial standards cool. sorry go on go on into I think they look cool i'll say this the rear wing slaps oh my y'all see that rear wing mm. with a little little yellow f- oh the rear wing oh 10 out of 10 everything else is kind of whatever it'd be cool if they did like the same thing but white it would probably look like the old marlboro cars or something that would look pretty cool but yellow is kind of an alternate ferrari color you know it's kind of like red is the main one but you can find ferraris that are like white and yellow as well so it's not the weirdest thing in the world but look man as as long as the car is fast i guess i guess what's the worst that could happen i mean, I mean like look at all the teams that run one-off liveries man we, we don't normally see bad things happen to one-off liveries do we or do we someone's never watched mercedes before well i've seen i've seen them bottle two special liveries in like the last couple of years, 2019 Germany and even Spa with Hamilton and Alonso coming together. But I mean, they really worked out for Red Bull twice. They did that little turkey livery and got a double podium. And they did that little Acura thing on the rear wing in court and got a double podium out of that too. So maybe it just depends on who's running the one-off livery. You get me? McLaren, Golf livery, Monaco podium. 
I would also throw into the mix as well. Although perhaps I would argue that for the most part, special liveries are a little bit cursed. We just remember the exceptions because they make us feel nice. But RIP the McLaren Golf livery, as with many McLaren vans, I love that shit. But we're going to have a little look back now and it's time for classic teams of F1 lore with Joe Spagnoli. A visit to F1 Twitter will likely tell you that Abu Dhabi 2021 was the most shameful moment in F1 history, the most disgraceful episode since they all started watching the sport in 2020. Respectfully, though, Joe disagrees, as he's found a team so awful that their very existence almost brought Formula One into disrepute. Again, Roberto Moreno... And it's nine o'clock on Thursday morning and it's all smiles at the Andrea Moda pits. A little problem with the gearbox. It leaked some oil, but it didn't stop Roberto from pre-qualifying. And it's thumbs up for the man who owns the team, Andrea Sassetti. It's little exaggeration to say that Andrea Moda Formula might be the worst team in F1 history. From their resources, or lack thereof, race preparations, or lack thereof, or frankly disgusting treatment of drivers, Italian shoe designer Andrea Sassetti's inexperienced outfit were the image of a defective constructor, and it's almost a miracle that they lasted nine races. Founded from the ashes of the similarly ill-fated Coloni, the plan was to run a two-car team out of Civitanova Marche, running a car that had been designed for BMW in 1990, two full years before Andrea Moda's F1 entry. In fact, it was more than two years. Sassetti hadn't paid the necessary deposit for new teams, so Andrea Moda was excluded from the 92 season opener at Kyle Army. Not that this mattered, though, as the actual cars hadn't been built yet, and nor had they been in time for the second race at Mexico. Italian drivers Alex Caffey and Enrico Battaglia were understandably disappointed by the team's preparations, but Sassetti responded in his own manner, sacking both of them on the spot for veteran Roberto Moreno and future Stig Perry McCarthy. So, Andrea had been dealing with some people in Formula One and in Britain, and, you know, everybody kept saying Perry, Perry, Perry. So, that was it. So, uh, that was my opportunity. I, I knew it wasn't a big team, I, and I knew it was going to be maybe a little bit difficult, but there was no other um, invitation for me to come into Formula One. I had no money, I had no sponsors, so I said, yes, I'm the guy for you, you know? McCarthy had barely started with the team before Sassetti wanted him gone, right when the now unemployed Bataja miraculously found a million dollars in sponsorship money. So irritated by Andrea Moda's early season failures though, the FIA blocked any future driver changes, and McCarthy was more or less neglected by the team thereafter. The second entry became more or less a spare car for the more experienced Moreno, who admittedly did qualify the car for the Monaco Grand Prix, the team's only registered race start, which ended with engine failure after 11 laps. They could only try to run to organise one car, which was Roberto. So there was no attention to me or my car. It was a disaster. So really, there was the attitude inside the team, but outside, looking at the team, everybody in Formula One's going, who are these guys? What are they doing? And then when I go out on the track with no testing and just two or three laps to set a time that was so bad, then of course people are looking at me going, he's useless. In truth, however, the more entertaining stats came from the team's non-starts. McCarthy's non-participation in Brazil as his super licence, the crucial thing you need to race in Formula One, hadn't been approved in time. His failure to pre-qualify the car in Hungary because the team wouldn't let him out on track until there was less than a minute left in the session. And who could forget the French Grand Prix, which Andrea Moda missed altogether thanks to a trucking blockade which literally every other team negotiated through. They were a laughing stock, and sponsors were pulling out left, right and centre. That may have had something to do with Sassetti not paying for the team's Judd engines before the Canadian Grand Prix, leaving the team motorless when they arrived. Only Moreno would run that weekend with a borrowed unit, but sitting on the sidelines was far from the worst of McCarthy's treatment. That would have been at Silverstone, where on a bone-dry track, the crew sent the Englishman out on full wet tyres. 
By the summer, Andrea Moda was staring down the barrel of exclusion from the sport, and at the Belgian Grand Prix, that became inevitable. Sassetti was arrested, in the paddock no less, forging invoices, and before their home race at Monza, the FIA expelled Andrea Moda on the grounds of, quote, bringing the sport into disrepute. Despite efforts to the contrary, the team were denied entry to the F1 paddock, and the young team's shenanigans thankfully didn't extend beyond this one awful season. Well, that's one way to exit the sport. Talk about drama. Yeah, and it's honestly a miracle that they survived for as long as they did. Just the stupidity of their excuses, the awfulness of their preparation. People think the likes of Red Bull treat their drivers badly today. Little visit down memory lane reveals that it, relatively speaking, is absolutely fine. I get a kick out of slagging off old British teams on here ahead of the Italian Grand Prix. I was never going to be accused of national bias. Andrea Moda, they may not have had the worst car ever, but they are unquestionably the worst team that this sport has ever had. Producer Royfield, I know you probably have a lot of thoughts about this team, as you always do about Joe's classic teams. One of the ramifications of Andrea Moda was that the bar was significantly raised for teams then to come into the sport. They had to put down bombs and do and do all manner of hoops, get through all manner of hoops, which teams never had to do beforehand. So if you look back at the whole history of Formula One, basically any old body could turn up to a Grand Prix with a car up to the point of Andrea Moda. And then F1 said, no, there needs to be some level of standards. You need, we need to look at your bank balance, make sure you have enough money. That so was their damaging reputation to the sport. So when when they then drop out of the sport, the amount of new teams that come in massively dropped. So actually, you know, you, you can't, I can't give them a thumbs up, but I actually, in a weird way, admire their plucky spirit because I'm all about that. But because of them, we now have only 20 teams on the grid. And it's much harder for teams to get into Formula One, which I don't think is a good thing. Should be 13 teams on the grid, 26 cars, but I'm an old fart. Well, hopefully we might be seeing some new teams coming in in the future. I still have my fingers crossed for Andretti, even though one doesn't seem to agree with me. But it is time for everyone's favourite part of the whole podcast. It's time for Plonker of the Week. Joe, I'm coming to you first. Who is your plonker of the week? I'm very excited. Oh, how I have simultaneously waited for this moment and shat myself of fear for this moment. Plonker of the week. Surprised no one's mentioned him so far. Kevin Magnussen was dog shit this weekend. Ten positions down on Mick Schumacher in qualifying. Yeah, sure, he had his lap time deleted. Do you know how many positions he would have gained if it hadn't been? One. He would have qualified one position higher, nine part behind Mick Schumacher, and even then he would have been three-tenths slower around Zandvoort. No car disadvantage whatsoever. A track he's raced at before inexcusable. You get to the race, completely unforced error early on, destroyed Haas's entire strategy. He's He's been pretty good this year, I'm not going to question it, but this weekend, I was staggered, baffled, bemused by how bad Kevin Magnussen was. It's hard to argue with that, to be honest. I am very inclined to agree with you, but we're going to go to intern. Who is your plonker of the week? Alright, I'm going to keep it real with you. It's actually raining so hard that I can't hear a single word anyone said for the past 10 minutes. But I am, I'm going to assume this is Plunker of the Week. So I will, I'm going to go, well, you already said Magnuson, who it literally should be. But seeing that Joe's already gone on, I guess I'll say, this is the part where you put in now. I'm going to go with Mattia Binotto. And the reason I'm going with Mattia Binotto isn't because Ferrari had a bad race. It's because he called Yuki Tsunoda Yuki Tsunami. And that's very, very, very weird to me. I, I, I can't believe it's real, first things first. I assumed we all knew about this. I, I guess I should link it in. But after... Is that fake? That better be fake. Does no one else know what I'm talking about? This is insane. No, no, no. no, no. We need to take a break. 
we need to take a break we are gonna cut all this out of the pockets i'm gonna find the tweet and i'm gonna send it to all of y'all because i can't believe i'm the only no, person no, no, that knows no. about this look it up no I've, I've, i'm googling I'm, I'm googling according to la gazetta dello sport mattia bonotto called yuki sonoda by the word tsunami you're not making it up you didn't see it in your head it's insane I can't believe like I literally couldn't believe it. I was like bro you're gonna call a Japanese dude tsunami like not only is that weird outright but we know what tsunamis have done to Japan like specifically that's insane to me man that's just completely unnecessary completely unneeded we already know things are hard on Yuki as is we all saw what happened to him in Mexico last year we all seen what's going on with him right now. The racist comments he's been getting and all of that kind of stuff. People saying he's not good enough. People saying that he's a ploy for out for Red Bull and all this. So much bad stuff's already happening to Yuki. And comments like this are just not making it any easier. Very, very, very disappointed in Mattia Binato for these comments. And he is my personal plunker of the week. I mean... That's a pretty racist thing to say, let's be honest. So that is a very, very well-deserved Plonker of the Week nomination there, in turn. Absolutely. Producer Royfield, in the absence of Mr. Ed Spencer, F1 journalist, do you have a Plonker of the Week? Well, after that impassioned nomination for for Binotto, you know, you have to go along with that. I hadn't heard of this, but you fact-checked it in real time. So, subconscious racism. That slipped out of his mouth. Gazetta della Sport are usually reliable as well. They're one of the more reliable sports publications that we have. So, look, I am not going to have any objection to Mattia Bonotto getting this. God knows he's deserved it in weeks gone by. Well, my nomination this week, my planned nomination was for the Ferrari pit crew for, as I mentioned earlier, coming out to do a pit stop with only three tyres. However... I think we can safely say after that live fact-checking incident and that breaking news brought to us by intern himself, that Matteo Bonotto is in fact our plonker of the week for being a racist person and a generally bad team principal overall. So congratulations, Matteo Bonotto. You are plonker of the week and probably some worse words as well that I will not use on the podcast right now. However, that is all that we've got time for this week. So thank you very much, gentlemen and dear listeners. Please do leave us a review on Apple iTunes if you feel so inclined. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at race underscore directors. You can also like us on Facebook at the Race Directors Podcast. And we thank you for sticking around with us, for putting up with my gravelly, sickly voice this week. And we will see you next week to discuss Monza. So thank you very much, gentlemen. Say goodnight. Bye. Luca Badoa, Ferrari team principal, when. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.